0: Let's look at First Peter chapter four. 1 Peter chapter four. I, I uh, appreciated Jeff's words last week, and uh, Jeff is a hard act to follow. And uh, we're going to be here a little bit longer than Jeff had you last week. So, <laughs> so he he gave me a little bit more time for you this week. But uh, hopefully, I won't take too 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 much of an advantage uh, of that. But uh, again. Jesus is writing to first century believers, uh, first generation believers most likely, and it is a tough time, uh, to be a Christian. Uh, there's a lot of persecution that's going on. There's gonna be more pure persecution that uh, takes place with these folks, and he's, he's trying to encourage those who are ostracized because of their faith. They've lost jobs, they've lost relationships they've lost family uh, and some have uh, lost their their own life and so it's not really a cool thing to be a Christian in this culture but I just want to remind us church that this wasn't just written for the first century church Christians. This was written for us today. This is the inspired, living Word of God. And we need to hear what Peter is sharing with these uh, believers um, back in uh, this uh, region of Asia. Because... uh, Parts of the world today are experiencing the same kind of persecution. You go to if you're a Christian in China, or if you're a Christian in North Korea, or if you're a Christian in the Muslim nations, um, your life is at risk as well. And Lord and, and folks, our nation, the United States of America, is traveling in that direction. Now, pray God, we have a president today who believes strongly in religious liberty, not just here, but around the world. But it's not always going to be that way. And our hope as believers is not who sits in the seats as president in Washington, D.C. Our hope... Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. And regardless of circumstances, he is sitting on heaven's throne. He is at the right hand of the Father. So let's look at verses 7 through 11 this morning as uh, we are here together. Peter writes this, The end of all things... Is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here at Emmanuel, for the most part, we go through the Word of God book by book and verse by verse. And oftentimes as we go through the the Word verse by verse, um, it is more current. What we read in his Word is more current than yesterday's newspaper or this morning's newspaper. And uh, there are some things that have transpired in, in, uh, in our culture today on social media that God's word addresses this morning. And so I am looking forward to sharing it with you this morning. But uh, <clears throat> Peter wants us to know that we have hope that is never going to fade away. Ours is a living hope. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Church, the resurrection of Christ is everything. If we can wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus conquered the grave, there is nothing that's going to defeat your faith or discourage your faith in him. Because the tomb is empty. The resurrection of Christ changes everything. So no matter what you're facing, Jesus is alive. That's a living hope that's never going to grow cold. And Peter goes on to say in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, my outcome, your outcome, our outcome is assured by the resurrection. God already has it all worked out. Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to set everything back in order. And we can rest in that fact. And as believers, he, Peter wants us to live out our faith in this reality. That these things have already occurred in God's mind. You know, His plan is taking place. His plan is being realized. Not ours. His. And we can trust His heart. And so Jesus wants us to live our life like He's already won. Jesus has already won. What does this life look like in the fact that Jesus has already won? Well, look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let me just mention this, first of all, about the end of all things is already at hand. Peter said this 2,000 years ago, and we're still waiting. Did Peter get it wrong when he wrote these words to these Christians in this first century? No. He didn't. Peter at this moment knows that Jesus' return is not imminent. Because Peter knows that he needs he's going to be dying for his faith. He's not going to see the Lord's return. He heard Jesus speak in Luke chapter 21, the fact that uh, Jerusalem is going to to fall. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That hasn't occurred yet. Peter died in 65 AD. Jerusalem fell in um, 70 AD. So Peter knows that there are things yet on the horizon that still need to take place. Paul knew that Jesus's return was not imminent because he knew that uh, the the, uh, the Antichrist was uh, yet to come, and so here we've been waiting for two thousand years, and Jesus still hasn't come some come back. But there's a lot of waiting that occurs in the Bible. When Jesus, when God promised to Adam and Eve that um, that uh, the, the the seed of Eve was going to dis, to crush the head, bruise the head of the serpent, that promise was 2,500 years before it became a reality. There's a lot of waiting that has to occur in the Bible. But just because God delays doesn't mean God denies. God is working things out on his own timetable. And we must trust him. And so Peter says the end of all things is at hand. Guess what? The end of all things is still at hand. The end was initiated at Inaugurated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been in the end times ever since. And those end times will be complete when Jesus comes back for His church, for His people. Now, in the meantime, how do we live as if Jesus has already won? Peter says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, Peter is encouraging us, challenging us as as Christians, think rightly and be clear-minded so that you can pray effectively. So that you can be people of prayer. But think rightly and be clear-minded. He says, be sober-minded. And when you see that word sober-minded, you know what? Yeah, it means avoid drunkenness. It, it means avoid getting drunk uh, on this world or in this world. Go back to verse 3, because this is where, this was the lifestyle that these Gentile believers came out of. Verse 3 says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. You're saying, don't go back there. If you're going to live as if like Jesus is already one, you need to think rightly, you need to be sober-minded, you need to be clear-minded. And I want to just say this, that it doesn't just have to deal with alcohol abuse. When we, we're talking about uh, sober-mindedness, uh, thinking rightly, like what John Piper says, don't be drunk on this world. And there are a lot of ways, church, that we can get drunk other than just alcohol. Okay? Uh, We can get drunk through our relationship. We can be consumed with that guy or that gal in our life thinking that they're, they're the one that is to make us complete. And we become very possessive of that relationship and they are the, the God. They are our idol. We are, we become drunk in relationships. We get, become drunk in children. Children can become our idol. And if they don't live the way we expect them to live, you know what? Life can fall apart. And God is just reminding us, they are not to be our idol. We can get drunk on our job. Our job can become our identity, our uh, self-esteem. We can get drunk on a hobby. We can get drunk on political issues. We can get drunk on current events. And church, I want you to know, this is something I've been struggling with. You know, what's been happening in social media uh, these last few weeks has become very time-consuming in my mind. And I'm staring at my Twitter feed. I'm staring at my phone a lot, trying to learn about these issues. And rather than my focus being on the the, the living Lord Jesus Christ, Him being our, my living hope, I can get consumed by these issues that I don't agree with. And I can get really spun up. And that's wrong of me. So we can get drunk on culture. We can get drunk on our retirement account. What is it that you have put ahead of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? The Bible calls that an idol. And Peter is telling us this morning that we need to be sober-minded. We need to be thinking clearly. And if it's not alcohol that you struggle with this morning, it's probably something else. And we need to be thinking rightly. Why? Why? For the sake of your prayers, Peter says. We, we need to be people of prayer. Rather than talking to each other about everything we're spun up over about, we need to be going to the Lord. And we need to be giving these things to God. And to know that, you know what? God is more concerned about these things than you are. And As you just keep giving it to Him, as you are, want to be sober-minded in this area, you know what? God's going to give you peace. He's going to give you the strength to get through it. But if you're drunk, in or on this world, Don't expect peace. Jesus is our living hope. The tomb is empty. And it's only through Christ that you're going to find your peace. And this, this world church, it's going to walk all over your idol. And if your idol continues to be your idol, you're going to be one miserable, hopeless person. Jesus is allowing the world to walk on your idol to remind you that that's not your hope. As much as you love, as important as that is in your life, It's your hope. Our hope is Jesus. Live this way for the sake of your prayer life. The second thing Peter says if we're going to live as if uh, Jesus is one, it's in verse 8 above all keeping keeping keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin we need to be people who are persistently loving others you know jesus told the disciples that uh, this is the way the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This was critical in this first century. These Christians were just a very small minority. And it was really important for them to love one another. Because if they stopped loving one another, this little church would disintegrate. Love is important. It is no small matter. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. Boy, what what does Peter mean about that? Love covers a multitude of sins. You know, we live in a, in a, a day and age church where Christians uh, take that to unhealthy extremes. And they've come to the conclusion that love really means remain silent because they don't want to offend anybody. And that's not what Peter's talking about here. Love covers a multitude of sin doesn't mean we just turn our head and ignore uh, sinful living or ungodly behavior. Those also goes on to say in the New Testament that as believers, we need to speak the truth in love <clears throat> and not just sweep it under the carpet. Um, and I'm trying to do that. Like I said, um, it's been easy to get spun up over what's happening in, on social medias, particularly in um, uh, Christian life in general. And, uh, in our convention in particular. And, uh, and I haven't been very clear-minded about some controversial issues. And, um, and I've been looking at some of your comments this week on, on social media, particularly on Facebook. Now I know nobody in this church does Twitter. I could never get you guys to do Twitter, and that 's probably a blessing these days. But if you want to learn more about uh, you know what i 'm just going to hint about this morning, um, you might want to get a Twitter account because you can learn a whole lot but uh maybe you 've heard this this week about um oh John MacArthur in particular he um he said some things that were a bit offensive to some people in regard to a female leader in our denomination, but also about leadership in general in the Southern Baptist convention. And that got a whole lot of people uh, spun up this, this week. And, and they were asking, um, they weren't afraid to state their opinion and at, Talk about the fact that why can John MacArthur be so harsh in what he said? That has no place in Christianity. And uh, many people were um, running to the defense of others without really knowing all the facts. You know, John MacArthur shared these things in a conference that he had I believe it was last last week and um, um, someone was recording that with their phone and posted that on social social media and so all they had was that context of that little video, and people jumped to conclusions that 's that's not healthy and you know what, that wasn't right. And uh you might think that, well, John MacArthur was just speaking off the cuff and um, uh, and and uh didn't really mean what he says. Pastor MacArthur has been studying this issue for a very long time. And I know What he said was harsh. And if people disagree with what he said, it does sound harsh. But I want to encourage you to do a little bit more investigation. You know, with a lot of churches these days, when it comes to women um, teaching men, for most denominations, this is not a big issue. It's happening in a lot of different churches, but in the Southern Baptist Convention, this this may not be a, a top issue uh, doctrine. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. But when it comes to secondary issues, this. This is an important issue if we're going to maintain fellowship as a denomination of churches, and there are some leaders in our denomination today who are looking at the area of complementarianism. That's that's where you know um, women are not to teach men. You know, that God has specific roles and functions for both the man and the one. We've talked about this in our church, so it's not a not a secret. <clears throat> but there are some churches, pastors, who are allowing women to teach men. And church this is a serious issue because what we what we entertain today as churches, we're going to embrace in the next generation. And when it comes to the Word of God, church, we take a high view of Scripture. And the Word of God says that God is a God of order. Paul understood this, and when Paul laid out the role of man and woman in First Timothy, he went back to Genesis And what he had to share to Timothy in verse Timothy was all based upon what the Word of God says in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. God is a God of order. And if we get the order mixed up, it's going to lead to liberalism down the road. And so, yes, John shared some difficult things very briefly, actually, about one person in particular. But he had some really strong things to say about the Southern Baptist leadership in general. And he wasn't out of line. Our Southern Baptist leadership today, church, is being silent on some very important issues that are taking place in our seminaries. And guess what? What is being taught in seminary today is going to be in the pulpit tomorrow. What we're entertaining today is what we are going to be embracing tomorrow. And there's a very dangerous road that denominational denominational leadership is leading us down. And John MacArthur spoke truth. And I want you to know that when prophets in the Old Testament spoke truth, they weren't very popular. In fact, a lot of them lost their life. And Pastor MacArthur isn't very popular today. But Pastor MacArthur spoke truth. We need to speak the truth in love. Yes, love covers a multitude of sins. And we need to be people of God who are willing to overlook a multitude of sin when it's appropriate. Kanye West recently became a Christian. Boy, he's been getting a lot of, of ink in the media too. And he is very now outspoken about his relationship with Christ. Yeah, I don't follow him, this, this celebrity. Never have, okay? but um, But he's saying some very encouraging things. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, great, another celebrity has come to Christ. Let's see how long this lasts. It doesn't ever work out well. And my friend, if that's your attitude, you know what that is revealing about you? You are the older brother In the prodigal son story, you are the self righteous one who doesn't have any grace for the prodigal that has come home. Let's be people of grace. Let's be praying for Kanye West. Let's not hold our past, his past, against him. Jesus doesn't. And let's encourage His newfound faith. This next generation, they need a prophet among them who will point them to Jesus because right now they're headed, they're headed in a, in the wrong direction and we need People in that that generation who are speaking truth, who believe and have this living hope within them. We need to love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Number three Verse nine. Show hospitality to one another. Underline this without grumbling. <laughs> if we are going to be people of the faith who live like Jesus has already won. We need to learn to be hospitable. And not just when your house looks Perfect. If it's a little bit messy, that is okay. If it's a little bit on the small side, that's okay. Cram them in there. But be hospitable. I mean, this was an important characteristic in this first century church because there were a lot of Christians being ostracized. They were losing their families. They were losing their spouse. And they had nowhere to go. And these, these, this little church, this little group of believers needed to be there for each other. If you're gonna live like Jesus is already one Christian, Peter's saying, be graciously hospitable without grumbling and for them that was costly to do because if they were going to be hospitable if they were going to allow the church to meet in their home or to allow these who had been persecuted to come and live with them for a while I mean they became targets they were marked as believers as well and it wasn't going to go well for them But we are in this together, Peter says. We need to be there for each other. There weren't any homes or hotels. There weren't any motel sixes. It was the opportunity to do ministry. You know, I I just see that happening right now in, in Northern California as people are escaping fires or people in the uh, Santa Cla- uh, Clarita area uh, and uh, the loss of home. Where are these people going to go? It could happen in Ridgecrest. We've all read the newspapers. We, we've all heard about what possibly can happen on the Garlock Fault. We're all at risk, too. And if that were to happen, church, I mean, praise God, it didn't happen with a 7.1. But who knows what's next? We need to be hospitable. If your house is intact and you've got a bed, if you've got floor space, we need to be willing to open up our home to those who are in need. It's it's a testimony. It's a testimony that we are followers of Christ. We know and believe that Christ is already one, and he wants to use us. He's blessed us with his house, and he wants us to bless others in return. And then finally, we're going to be people who live like Jesus has already won. You know what we need to be serving? Verse uh, Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you a spiritual gift, and God wants you to exercise that gift within the body. He doesn't want you to be a spectator, a casual observer, and watch everybody else do work. He wants you in the game too. He's given you a gift that, not to edify yourself, but to bless other people. What are you doing with that gift? Now... When we come to Christ, you know, our life is no longer our own. We are to be a living sacrifice unto him, and we are to uh, serve him by serving others. But uh, uh, there's that doesn't mean that you need to take on a, a martyr-savior complex at the expense of your own personal health or family. Okay, and I know that there's some of you, I mean, you live for doing everything in this church, and that's not healthy either, okay? You're not the savior um, if you stop doing some things, you know the church is going to continue to go on um, but uh this is something I have to watch and and i don't I don't always have this under control, okay. Let me just be vulnerable with you for a second. It was one Sunday afternoon, and um, Joseph was going to go to his first deacons meeting, and he and I were going to go together, okay? And it was about 45 minutes before the deacons meeting started, and I plopped down in my lazy boy recliner. And, and literally, it was the first opportunity I had to plop down in my lazy boy recliner. And about that moment, Susan got a text. I got a text too. And the text said, uh, "We're we're broken down, and uh, it's 110 degrees." Well, it was 110 degrees outside, you know. Um, they didn't say the temperature, but I knew how hot it was outside. And uh, can somebody come and help us? So you know, It wasn't just to Susan and I, but it was to a group of people. And uh, Joseph looked at me, and he said, Hey, we can go help these people um, before deacons' meeting. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. I was looking at him. Thinking, I just plopped down in this chair. I am tired. There is somebody else who can do this. Now, it just wasn't Joseph and I having this conversation, but Susan was looking at me, and Emily was looking at me, the pastor of the church, and I was tired. Let somebody else do it. And they were appalled. (laughs) And they went without me. Now, that's not a great illustration, is it, of your pastor? I'm just being real with you right now. You know, I don't have this all under control either. But, God wants us to serve. And there's a lot of times that I do serve. And I just didn't feel like I could at that moment. But there's a lot of others in this church who could, but who don't. Question. What are you doing Thursday night? Working the festival. That is a good answer. And I hope all of you can say that. Because church, this is an opportunity to bless our community. It's not just something that we come and enjoy for ourselves. But we need to get involved. Why? Because of the grace of God in our life. God has saved us When we didn't deserve it, God poured out His grace, His giftedness on our lives, not so that we could benefit ourselves, but that we could be a blessing to others, that we could testify, guess what, world? Jesus is already one. And He is my living hope. And He can be your living hope. That's what God wants to see In our lives. And so my question to you is, are you serving? What what can you do this Thursday night? And if you don't know the answer to that question, you go see Nathan right after this service at the Harvest Festival table. Because God wants you to be a blessing in our community this week. And we need you. Sacrifice for him. So, when everyone's gift is using Christian community with love, then in all things, God is glorified. Are you sober this morning? Are you thinking clearly? Is God your God? Or is it something else? If it's something else, trust me. If it's not being trampled currently, it's going to be trampled. And you're going to be really hurt, really upset. God just wants to remind us, That's not your hope. Your hope is Him. We need to love persistently. And we can't turn our heads when we see sin. We need to lovingly confront. Speak the truth in love. And keep loving. Be hospitable. Don't let everybody else do it. Don't just enjoy everybody else's possessions. You open up your home. You experience the blessing (laughs) of hosting others without grumbling. Be hospitable and serve. Don't be a spectator. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your word. God, I pray, particularly for me this week, that I would choose sobriety over being drunk. On this world, it is so easy, God, for me to be consumed about other issues. But, God, those issues aren't as important as you are. So help me to think clearly, rightly, to speak the truth. And yet speak the truth in love. Knowing that, God, it's not always going to be received well. But even so, Lord, help me to continue to be loving. And to open up our homes, Father. others who need those relationships with other believers. And God, for us to serve. I pray, Father, for Harvest Festival this Thursday night. I pray that Jesus would be magnified on this campus. I pray, God, that you would just uh, protect all who come on this campus and that people who don't know Christ may they see and know that we are people who believe to the core of our spirit that in Christ we have already won. That sin has been defeated. Death has been overcome. The tomb is empty. And that, God, we can trust you in anything and everything. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us to live accordingly. In Christ's name.